You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, hey, welcome this morning to Banner Church. If you're excited to be here this morning, say yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, come on, 1045, y'all are awake, that's awesome. Um, hey, I want to do something special this morning. You know, last week, the church, you guys blessed us so much as your lead pastors, Katie and myself, and uh, I didn't know if you know this, but we have an amazing staff team here, and so we've taken time, we took time in the first service, and I want to take some time to honor this team because God has so blessed this church. I don't know if you knew that, but God has blessed this church. You know, our staff work so faithfully. Most of them work other jobs, and, they, and this is really the calling on their life, but they serve so faithfully. Um, the reason uh, we're able to do the things that we do here as a church is because of all the faithful team members, but I, but they are spearheaded by some incredible, incredible people that I'm so thankful for, and we pray all the time, God, would you continue to bless this team of people, because man, we want to love on our pastoral team here, amen? So, hey, can I just invite real quick, those of you who are here or on my staff who are in this room, could you just come forward real quick? Because we want to celebrate you. So, yeah, Marcus, that's you too, homie. <laughs> Go ahead and come on up. Just line up here real quick. Uh, first service. First service, I gave everybody this. So, second service. Marcus, you get yours. I already gave everybody theirs because first service. Um, here you go, my man. Hey, this is our team. We're so thankful for them. We're so thankful. I'm just going to introduce them really quick in case you didn't know. Okay, cool. I'm going to introduce all of them. And then once I'm past my brother Marcus here, then clap. Okay? Good. Okay. Good, good, good. All right, we'll start over here. Um, awesome. Well, we have Patrick, who directs all of our tech and lighting and sound. We have Megan, who does our I Said Yes, wait, our I Said Yes ministry, and our online campus. Online people, you're allowed to clap. Uh, we have Nick and Allie, who lead our small, our, uh, our coffee ministry. Sorry. I'm going too fast here. They're having a baby, one of the many babies. There's babies everywhere. There's something in the coffee, I swear. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sorry, we have uh, David Berry, who is our men's director. We have Gillian, who is our small groups director. We have Austin and Delaney. Delaney is our kids director, and Austin is basically also almost the kids director because he's always there. Uh, we have Alec and Hannah. Alec is our worship uh, director here and pastor here. We have um, Gianna, and she is our bookkeeper amongst many other things. She would be our, uh, she's not our bookkeeper. What are you? You are our executive uh, assistant. There it is. Wow. We're going fast. And then we have Marcus, who is our creative director here at Banner Church. Ready, set, go. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's all for you, Marcus, apparently. <laughs> uh, could you do this with me just real quick? I know you sat down, but would you stand with me and just stretch your hands out today? I'm going to invite Katie up. And Katie, would you pray for our staff today? Lord God, I thank you so much for every single person that is up here. God, I thank you for all of the different callings that are represented here. And God, honestly, I'm just so in awe of this incredible team that you have gifted me with, my husband with, and this church with. God, to see their hearts every day. They are working hard. They are pushing. They are pursuing you, Lord God. And we do not give up at this church. And that is what I see on this team is people who refuse to give up. God, they pursue you with their whole heart and lives. God, I pray that over this next year that you would bless each one of them immensely, God, as they sow into your kingdom. God, would you reap a great harvest of, of souls and of blessings, Lord God. I thank you for each one of them, Lord, and I pray that you would bless them this year. In your name, amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know if you all knew this, but it is our three-year birthday today. We moved into this building three years ago today. Um, we had a, you know, a crazy relaunch process, so we're like, what day is officially our birthday? So we picked when we launched into this building, because that makes sense to me. So uh, three years, it's crazy, man. It goes so fast, but we are so blessed and so blessed to have this team. And I really want to encourage you guys to just bless on, these te on our staff. 
they give so much. Uh, I know we have some amazing teams and a lot of teams full of amazing people here, uh, but it blesses me when these people who are doing this, not for money, not to get wealthy, not for power or position, they're doing it because they love the kingdom. Can I tell you, it blesses God when you come alongside them. It blesses God when you serve alongside them. It blesses God when you join their teams. It blesses God when you say you're going to be there and you're there. It blesses God when you call them up to pray for them because they've been calling up to pray for you. It blesses them. It blesses me. So I want to say just thank you. And uh, I always want to encourage you to find ways to love on these awesome people because uh, we want to keep them because they're pretty great. So uh, continue to do that. But uh, we're in the middle of our Angels and Demons series, which I hope you've been enjoying, right? Good. I uh, It's November 1st, so I brought this uh, Christmas mug today that I'm going to be drinking out of. All of the purists who refuse to decorate before Thanksgiving, um, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I love Thanksgiving, but I love Christmas, and if I'm going to go through all this stinking work to put lights up, you better believe they're going to be up for more than three weeks. So I figure, why not? I love it. I love things being extra. My mom tricked my dad into putting up the Christmas lights for, for Halloween, and they, they went as Mr. and Mrs. Claus this year, and that was her grandmaster plan to get Christmas lights up for like three months. So good job, Mom. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And my dad loves it, too. He went along. He's a great Santa. Um, but, yeah, we're in the middle of our Angels and Demons series, and uh, today we're going to talk about or someone really specific. I don't have a whiteboard. I'm not drawing any charts, but we're going to dive into some good stuff. If you missed anything, I want to really encourage you to go back and listen because every week is kind of going to build. A hey, what's up, guys? Sorry, I just saw people I knew here. What's up? How are you doing? Um, sorry. Anyways, I, it doesn't matter. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, when I see people I know, I haven't seen you in like five years. What's up? How are you guys doing? Good. Awesome. All right. The, sp the Spirit of the Lord is here because we, we got some praying saints today. Um, anyways, sorry, I'm way off. But uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about something specific today. How many of you guys are uh, music fans? Let's get back on track. How many of you guys are fans of music? I'm a big fan of music. I studied music. It's one of the things I studied in college. And uh, I studied a lot of blues and roots music. And uh, one of my favorite musicians, though he lived a short time, was a musician by the name of Robert Johnson. And uh, Robert Johnson is, is very famous. You might have uh, heard of a similar person, though they're not related, named Tommy Johnson, if you've ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? If you've never seen that movie, it was responsible for basically the folk revival. Um, if you're like a skinny white kid that wears suspenders and listens to the Lumineers, you owe it all to a brother where art thou. So we might be a little divided on how we feel on that movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Tommy Johnson is famous in a sense, but Robert Johnson is the most famous. Robert Johnson was a 19-year-old in Mississippi who was working at what was called a juke joint because there were these places where people would go and they would listen to blues music and play blues music because at the time, rock and roll, blues, all of that was of the devil. Some of you are like, oh, I grew up in that house. I know that. Uh, <laughs> all of blues music was the devil. And uh, let's just say there was disproportionate opportunity for people of color, right? Mississippi a long time ago. So specifically people of color would gather together and they would play blues music and all kinds of things, and they would dance, and dancing was of the devil too. So, of course, you know, that was all wrapped in. But there was a young guy, 19 years old, named Robert Johnson. And Robert Johnson worked at the juke joint. One night he decided, I'm going to pick up the guitar. So he picks up the guitar, this, this awesome guitar that one of the musicians had been playing. And he gets up there, and he strums it, and instantly, let me tell you, instantly, he was terrible. <laughs> he was just straight bad. And so they're like, man, look at this guy. They're like, stop immediately and get out. So Robert Johnson is furious that they're making fun of him. So what does he do? He disappears for a year. A year later, he re-emerges. No one has seen him for a year. So the story goes, right? And uh, he shows up with a guitar case, and he opens it up. And they're like, oh, man, this is Robert Johnson. Like, this kid's going to be terrible. You ever been to a show, and the opener opens, and you're like, ooh, this is bad. Okay, this is what everyone thought was going to happen. Opens it up, plays a guitar, and instantly he is amazing. Like, not, like, kind of good. I mean, like, we got some amazing guitar players, like Alan. He's so, where, where's Alan? Alan here today? Yeah, Alan is good. Uh, you know, Nick's back here shredding and doing his thing. Robert Johnson is, um, is the best blues guitarist probably to ever live, fight me, okay? 
<laughs> he is instantly amazing. And they're like, how did he get so good in a year? He's disappeared, and now he's here. And so the myth goes, the myth goes that he was at the crossroads, and he was walking, and he didn't know what to do, and the devil met him at the crossroads. Right? The devil met him, and he sold his soul so that he could be the best blues guitarist to ever live. If you've ever seen a Brother Where Art Thou, Tommy Johnson uh, tells him, oh, I sold my soul. And one of the characters said, Tommy, why would you go do, a, do something like that so reckless as to sell your soul? And Tommy says, well, I wasn't really using it anyways. <laughs> it's meant to be funny. It's not meant to be, like, harsh or anything, guys. We're at the beginning of the sermon. We haven't even talked about Satan yet. Like, let's ease into it. Woo! Shake the tree, right, Marcus? <laughs> so, <laughs> Robert Johnson... The age of 27 now, for seven years, has been the most amazing and talented blues guitarist probably to ever live. Really establishes the genre across a diverse audience, which is a really strong feat from a kid from Nowheresville, Mississippi. And at 27, he disappears. And they can't find him. Eventually, they find him dead. There's all these rumors. Was he poisoned? Because he liked blues, but he also really liked women and booze. Was he poisoned? And that's kind of the rumor that goes around that it's like, oh no, the devil finally came back for his soul. The devil came for his soul. He finally, he finally had to pay up, had to you know, sell your soul to the devil, and he shows up once you've been successful, and he takes it back apparently. And so there's this myth surrounding it. And really, ever since the beginning of music and blues and rhythm and blues and rock and roll, there has been this kind of like rock and roll attachment with Satan and selling your soul, right? There's been this kind of like uh, uh, connection there, and it's, it's a part of rock and roll music almost, of this idea of selling your soul to the devil to be famous and that's kind of how we see the devil in a lot of um, portrayals of him culturally. He's very slick. He wears a suit. He meets at the crossroads. He's very clever. Some portrayals of him, he's like in like a red suit with like a tail and a pitchfork. But most modern portrayals, he looks like a really sharp lawyer or, um, you know, Robert De Niro in that one movie. And uh, he looks like sharp. Is that Robert De Niro? It's one of the guys that, you know, yeah, one of the angry guys from Boston who acts and things. Um <laughs> You know, he looks very sharp and very put together, and he's very tricky. And it's become a really popular motif because we really use the devil in all kinds of ways, right? Right? I don't know if you grew up in a home where it was like, that's the devil, that's the devil, the devil's in that, that's the devil. They're the devil. That is for sure. Electric guitar? Are you kidding me? That's the devil. Drums? Woo! A black curtain on the stage? The devil, right? Halloween? The devil. Christmas? The devil. The devil's in that Snickers. You better not eat that. The devil's there. That's the devil's Snickers. You give that back to the devil, right? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you, that was last night, right? <laughs> You're like, nope, I cancel this, right? Like, wandering through Walmart, canceling the Halloween decor. Cancel you, spider webs. Will not fall into the lies of the devil. This, <laughs> the web of his lies, I cancel you. Right? Some, of you <laughs> some of you, you just walk through Walmart with your head down while your aunt cancels everything. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what was funny in fifth grade, uh, when I was a young kid, you had uh, your option of classes. And so when before school started, you would try to guess, like, okay, what class am I going to get? And there was always a teacher who, like, a lot of the kids wanted. Then there was a teacher who, like, they weren't sure. And usually it ended up that it didn't really matter anyways. But there was this one teacher who was a little intent to my buddy Jonathan got into this class. And I knew he was screwed from day one uh, because he was at uh, – free spirit in a way and they didn't like that in the fifth grade of the school I was at and at one moment he was being free spirited and the teacher grabbed him by both shoulders looked him straight in the eye and said the devil's in you boy and uh, that will terrify a fifth grader let's be honest <laughs> he's like the devil's in me but I think it's interesting because culturally we have all these views of the devil but I think often we so um, neuter or uh, dismantle or weaken our understanding of the devil. We either go one way or the other. It's either like a total myth or it's like in everything. And by being in everything, it's in nothing. And so we miss out what the devil is actually doing and who he actually is. But at the same time, because of that, we also miss out in the victory that we have. Because you were created to live in the victory of the resurrection. You were created to live in victory. You were not created to live 
deceived. You are not created to live in brokenness. You are created to live in victory. So when we minimize and dismiss spiritual forces, we only deceive ourselves. And therefore, not only do we miss the battle, we miss the victory. Are you still with me? From the first time I ever went swimming in the ocean, I was not aware, because I come from the ocean up north where it's like rocks, and then you wade in, and it's like 22 degrees, and then it just drops off like 100 feet. So you don't do like a lot of surfing and things. The first time I ever went to Southern California, uh, I was told to go body surfing, which I didn't understand meant you just lay down and let the waves smash you into the ground over and over again. And uh, the first time I ever got hit by a wave, I realized the power of that wave, right? And then the wave kept hitting me. Like, the waves are, are no respecter of persons. It's just like, wave, 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 right? And I think sometimes in the spiritual battle, if you are not prepared, then you will not understand the power of what you're facing. So my goal today is to prepare you, and I know we got to go through a lot of information, but my goal is to prepare you so that you can live in victory. Some of you, you need victory today. And so let me prepare you. Amen? All right. I want to open our Bible up, if you have it, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is going to be our anchor verse. You are allowed to underline your Bible. It's not a textbook you have to return. It's yours. If you'd like to underline it, do it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what it says. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Okay, so let's talk about the devil today. Let's talk about the devil today. We know from last week, if you are here last week, that the devil is evil in his kind of uh, interaction with the fall of man. So I'm not going to go cover all that that I drew, but I really encourage you, go back and check that out on the podcast or uh, online. Go to YouTube, search the Banner Church. We're not the one that's in Korean. We're the other one. So <laughs> that's us. Anybody, that, like the eight people that follow us on YouTube are like, yes, I know what you're talking about. Um, but I want to talk to you today about Satan. Where does he come from? Why was he created, right? And then if we're really supposed to resist him, how on earth do we resist the devil? Okay, so let's start with this. Why is he called Satan? Why is the devil's name Satan? I'm not going to say everyone says Satan because that gets a little weird. And then, like I said, in first service, everyone clicks away. We don't get the links we need on YouTube. But, um... His name is Satan. Well, just like the word Malak, messenger, the Hebrew word for messenger, stands for angels or messengers. The word Satan comes from the Hebrew word for deceiver. It comes from the Hebrew word to oppose or to be hostile. So, you know, as a verb, the word Satan has the meaning of being hostile towards another individual. Now, the noun of Satan, and this is it, signifies individuals who are hostile to each other, such as political opponents or personal enemies. You didn't realize when you came in here that the political opponent you don't like is actually Satan, apparently. <laughs> it's okay to laugh at that. It's okay. I know, things are tense. November 4th, you won't laugh. But today, we can laugh. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> But the New Testament uses different words to describe Satan, this word deceiver, opposition. And it's specifically using uh, the, the, the personal name or the proper address of Satan as Satanus or Diabolos. That's where we get Diablo or the devil. The word devil, actually, because uh, in English, all our English is just this crazy mashup of Germanic things that we just decided was too convenient to say well, so we said them weird. And so we have Diabolos, and then we're like, yeah, devil, that's close. Um, that's how we get devil as a, as a people. comes from that. Uh, but the word is really diabolos or satanus. So other uh, people can be a Satan in the sense that they can be a deceiver in the Hebrew sense. If you were speaking Hebrew, that word would be used. But there is also the Satan. There is the. Just like it, there are Elohim, spiritual beings in the spiritual realm, there's the Elohim. There's God. There's the Satan. So usually in Scripture it says, Satan came. If you were to read that in Hebrew, what it would look like is the Satan. Like very clearly, this one, right? This one has come. So Satan was created, but he wasn't created as Satan. 
Let me explain. I want to talk through a couple things today. We're talking about Satan's creation. We're going to talk about Satan's fall. We're going to talk about Satan's authority. And we're going to talk about um, Satan's destruction. So I want to start with Satan's creation. If you're writing notes, write Satan's creation. It seems pretty weird that God would create Satan. Have you ever thought of that? Like, God, if you didn't create Satan, everything would be better, right? Like, if you didn't create Satan and he tempted us, then, like, I mean, high school would have been easier. Like, things would be better. You know, we wouldn't be dealing with all this. Right? I just go through life happy. If you didn't create Satan. So the question is, like, did, we talked a little about this last week, that God did not create Satan evil. Though Satan is evil, he was not created to be a Satan, a deceiver, a destroyer. He was created for a different purpose. Today in Scripture, we're going to look at two parts of Scripture. If you like to look in your Bible and mark things, here's two spots you can look. Ezekiel 28. Someone say Ezekiel. All right, and Isaiah 14. Someone say Isaiah. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. I'm going to jump back and forth between those, but the words will be on the screen, so don't worry. Let's talk about this, Satan's creation. What was he created to be? I want to read a scripture I read last week, Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre. I'm going to explain that in a moment. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Okay, Ezekiel right here is telling us how Satan was created. Not how he is now, but how he was created. And he says in verse 14, You were an anointed guardian cherub. Someone say cherub. I placed you, you are on the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of fire you walk. Okay, really briefly. Last week, two weeks ago, we talked about what cherub were. They were throne guardians. They were the angelic beings that guarded the throne of God. And you look at um, even Ezekiel chapter 1, it talks about their wings and their faces. They were not tiny little babies. We get that through the paganism of Rome. They were not tiny little babies. They were these powerful, amazing beings that surrounded the throne of God and worshipped him. And it talks about he was on the holy mountain of God. Last week we talked about the holy mountain of God. That was Eden. You were in Eden. You were in the garden of Eden. And you were surrounded by the stones of fire. Last week we said the stones of fire were this representative imagery of the divine council. That group of angelic beings that is also surrounding God and with God. Okay. That's a sum up. I hope you're still with me. You're like, I still have more questions. Good. Hit that YouTube. Let's drive the, let's drive the views up. Right? <laughs> So Satan was created to be a part of the divine council. Remember, God is sovereign. God has a sovereign plan. And yet, what's amazing is that God created spiritual beings to then walk out that plan with and to be part of executing that plan. And you're like, why? If he's God and he's all-powerful, why would he need other beings? Because God does not want to do life alone. God in his nature is actually relational. Which should be a message to us. Why would I try to do life alone when God didn't do life alone? In fact, if I'm created in his image and he doesn't do life alone, he does life with others, he speaks with others, he walks with others, he creates others, then I in turn was created to do life with others. So Satan's a part of this divine council. He was created to operate in authority. And we're told in Ezekiel that he was incredibly wise, incredibly beautiful. Remember last week I said he's like a bedazzled Brad Pitt. He's just beautiful. And uh, I don't know, I'm a dude. That's the closest I can get. Um, you know, and he's beautiful and good looking and he's wise and he's crafty and he's smart and he's a throne guardian. And so part of his creation, Satan's creation, was to be this beautiful supernatural being who guarded the throne of God. When people wanted to come into the presence of God, when beings, I mean, wanted to come into the presence of God, Satan was there before he was the Satan. He was there. He guarded the throne. Ezekiel 28, 15 said, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found to you. God created Satan blameless. He was beautiful. He was powerful. He was wise. And he was perfect. So then how did he become the Satan, right? That's a jump. Some of you are like, if I was in God's presence, I would just kind of roll with that. Well, not Satan. 
Satan makes a jump. How do you go from being blameless, wise, powerful, close to God to being the absolute scorn of the earth? Really in no culture except for recently when we want to make him look like a detective or something. Like no culture has ever portrayed Satan in like a beautiful light. Now it's like he's just a misunderstood detective who solves crimes in Manhattan. But most of the world, it says Satan is profoundly evil and you should avoid him. Are we good? Good. Okay. So let's talk about that then. How does Satan go from being so perfect, beautiful, wise, like the King Solomon wise, Brad Pitt bedazzling angel action? How does he go from that to being the scorn of the earth? Well, that's Satan's fall. Okay, let's talk about Satan's fall. I want to look at another prophecy of judgment in Isaiah. And what you'll see in Isaiah 14, when we read this scripture, is that he's talking to the king of Babylon. And that's interesting. Both times he's speaking to the king, the king of Babylon, the king of Tyre. You're like, so he's speaking to these rulers? No, when we look at the text, it's very clear that he's not speaking to the rulers. But most importantly, when we look at most of cultural history in the ancient Near East, no one really prophesied straight to a person. They prophesied to who that person worshipped. So when you see in Scripture, to the king of Tyre, you're not speaking to the king who sits on the throne, speaking to the power that controls the throne. So the word, the Canaanite word for king is the word Molech. And so throughout Scripture, you might, or out, uh, history, you might have seen that the worship of Satan, people will worship Molech. I can trace that, without sounding like a crazy person, from Israel to now people worship Moloch. And that's a concerning place to be. I told my wife the other day, I'm like in that really dangerous territory where I think I'm done with the Angels of Demons series because I'm on that fine line of history and everyone thinking I'm crazy. It's like, no, I'm just reading history <laughs> to you. And turns out people still worship evil. But that's for two weeks from now. Um, <laughs> that's for two weeks from now. All that to say that he's speaking to Satan. Here's what he says, Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. We, we talked last week, that's Satan. He's the, the bright shining star. That's where we get the word Lucifer from. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. In Isaiah 14, 13, the very next word said, You said in your heart, look at what, this is what Satan said that got him cast down. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. Satan says, I will ascend. What is he saying? I want to rule. I want to call. He looked at God. He looked at God's plan. Remember we talked last week, he was not a fan. He looked at God's plan and he said, I want to rule. I want authority. I want to do it. He did not like how God ruled. He wanted to rule. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to call the shots. He looked and he said, I don't like this. I don't like that you created man in your image. I don't like that you've given them authority on earth. I want to rule. I want power. I want authority. I want to be God. Which I feel like should give us pause. Can we pause here for a second? Let's pause here for a second. The first, and this is going to sound strong, but I need you to roll with me based off the context of this sermon. So if you quote this on Instagram, none of your friends are going to understand, but you're going to understand because you have context. Okay. The first indication that we are beginning to align with a satanic, I know that's strong, but a satanic way of thinking is when you see something that God has clearly said in his word and you say, I don't like that. I want to do it this way. Okay. I'm not saying you're a Satan worshiper part of the church of Satan. I'm saying our minds and our hearts can take the mindset of Satan that says, I know that's in his word. I know that he has spoken it. I know that he said it. I know that he's called me out. Or maybe he's, he's brought me to a place of repentance. I know he said this, but I don't like that. I don't want that. I want to do it my way. Can I tell you that's how Satan started? Yeah, God, I see what you're doing. I see that you're God. I see that you have a sovereign will and a plan. I see what you have spoken, but I don't like that. I want a better way. I want a faster way. I want a different way. I want a way that makes me God. Yeah, that's great. You can be God, but I want to be God. I want to be God of my own life. I want to be in charge. I want to do it my way, my way right now. Yes, I know he wrote that in the Word, but if he really loved me, he would really let me do this because I want to do this. That's Satan. That's the mindset of Satan. And that's what Satan did. Go back to Isaiah uh, 14, 13, if you pop that up on the screen. He says, I will ascend the heaven above the stars. And then later he says, I will sit on the mount of assembly. 
above the stars. The stars was a symbolic representation for the angels. He looks at the angelic beings worshiping God, and he says, no, I want the glory for myself. He says, I'm going to sit on the throne of the assembly. What does that mean? He says, I want to sit on my throne. I want to rule. I know what God has given me. I know what he's called me to, but I don't like this plan. I want to do it my way. I want to go my way. I want to do my thing. I want to rule on the throne of God. Remember, Satan was the, the guardian cherub. He was the guardian cherub. He was the worship pastor of heaven. He led them in declaring the truth of God. This is why I always tell worship pastors, like, you better be on guard. You took Satan's old job. You think he likes you? <laughs> you better be ready. And so he would gather people. He led the angels in worship and declaration of God. He was like an epic warrior, four-headed, six-winged, incredible, supernatural being, worship leader. But he decided, I want to do it my way and my plan, how I want. I want to rule. And so Isaiah 14, 14, it says, He said, I will ascend above the heights of God. I will make myself like the Most High. Ooh, bold, Satan. Bold. But what happens? Let's go back to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, 16 says, In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned, so I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud. Why? Because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. Isaiah 14, 15 says, But you are brought down to Sheol. What is Sheol? That is the place of the dead, the place of death, to the far reaches of the pit. What I think is crazy is Satan probably saw this as a battle that he could win because he was good-looking, he was powerful, and he had a lot of influence. So, I mean, when we talk about Satan, hear me. Satan is powerful. Everyone here, everyone with me, you hear me. Okay, Satan is powerful. I'm not saying to say he's not powerful. Satan was powerful and had enough influence that he looked at God and thought, yeah, I could do this. Think about that. So he's at least decently powerful, right? He's at least decently strong. And he looked at God and they're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I think I could take him. He's having an off day maybe. You know, I saw him create platypuses the other day. He's off his rocker. I think I can take him. Right? Have you seen how giraffes eat? I think we could take him, guys. Right? He had this thinking, I, I think that we can take him. I think that we can go after him. Why? Because though he's powerful and his influence, Satan is prideful. Isn't it crazy how pride will blind us? Right? Man, when you're prideful, you get blinded. You get blinded to the people around you. People around you are like, this is not going to work. This is a terrible idea. You should not do this. And we're like, yeah, but I, but I think I can make it. They're like, no, this is not good. Do not do this. This goes against God. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, like, I think I got it, right? I think I could do it. It's like, okay, like, do you not see that this is not going to go well? But pride blinds us. How many creatures on heaven or earth have been destroyed because of pride, right? And so Ezekiel 27 says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. He was created to worship God, and yet he began to worship himself. He began to worship the creation. It was all eyes on me, all eyes on myself. He began to worship himself, and pride does this. And now, it wouldn't do it to any of us, of course, of course, because we're here at 1045. You love the Lord. You're at church. You know, all those things. But you might know somebody who this happened to. With no one here... Somebody you might know, somebody you might know might have been blinded by pride at some point in their life and begin to focus all about them. It's all about me. What am I going to get? What am I going to get out of this? What am I going to get in my life? What am I going to get from this church? I'm just like getting enough from people. I need this. I want this. Like, oh, okay. Well, good. And begin to get blinded. He says his heart was proud. And so Satan looks at himself and thinks like, yeah, I can take God. I think I can do it. And honestly, I honestly... uh believe that he thought he had a chance here. I, I think he thinks he has a chance. I still think he does. He thinks he has a chance. He looks at God and is like, I'm pretty good looking. I think I can take him. I'm pretty powerful. I can take him. But we know that there was not like an epic battle and struggle, and God didn't like finally come out of the fox and was like, come on guys, if we get this hill, we can take him. None of that. It was this fast. You ready? Faster than that. Satan rose up. He's like, I think I could do it. And God's like, ha ha ha. No, you can't. Everyone look. Everyone look. No, there you go, right? How do we know that? Because Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us in Luke 10. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
How fast does lightning fall? Pretty dang fast. Pretty dang fast. Like the speed of light, right? Very fast. It's not like a gradual descent. That would be terrifying. <laughs> Thank you, God, that lightning is fast. Not like an hour and a half long. Uh, immediately he fell. In one moment he rose up, in another he was destroyed. Satan has power, but he is not even close. There's no yin and yang. There's no epic struggle of light and dark. Satan has power, but it would be like a UFC fighter taking on a toddler. It's like, boom, it's over, right? <laughs> it would just be done. There's no context. Did that not, that not get the point across? There's some people falling asleep. I got to wake them back up. <laughs> say dramatic things. <laughs> Satan has fallen, but here's the interesting thing about Satan who has fallen. He still has power. Interesting. God casts him down, and yet he still has power. He was powerful enough to think he could take on God, so he's pretty dang powerful, and he still has that power. So let's talk about that. What is Satan's power? Should you, like, walk around and be like, oh, man, if Satan catches up to me, it's going to, like, take me over. It's going to be like the exorcist. I'm going to, like, float on the bed. It's going to be a whole thing. I mean, he's so powerful, he's going to take on God. I, I haven't even read my Bible in, like, a week and a half. He's certainly going to do me over, right? What is Satan's authority? Okay. When Satan fell, he kept his power. But hear me, this is so important. Satan does not have sovereign power. Someone say sovereign power. I want us to get that word in our brain. Satan is not omniscient, though he might want you to think that he is. He is not all-knowing. He does not know everything. He does not know the future. He does not know the plan and purpose for your life. So therefore, why does he keep trying to trick you that he does? He doesn't know the future. He doesn't know the end. If he did, he'd be freaked. But he doesn't. He's not omniscient. He's also not all-powerful. He's not all-powerful. He does not have all the power. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. Satan is, in a spiritual sense, he has to manifest in the sense where the spirit crosses the natural. He has to manifest somewhere, just like any spiritual force would be. But he's not everywhere like God is. Some of y'all might have a guess where he is. <laughs> I don't know. We could probably guess. I don't know. But Satan is not omnipresent. But most importantly out of all three of those is that Satan is not all-powerful. That is so important to us. Satan has limited power, but he does have power, and he does have a place where he rules. Where is the place where Satan rules in power? Where 1 John 5.19 tells us. It says, we know that we are from God, meaning the followers of Christ. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the world. John 12.31 says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. This is Jesus prophesying against Satan. John 14, 30 says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. Jesus is clearly establishing this, that Satan is the ruler of this world. So when you read a scripture about bringing the world into the church, can we just clarify that that means bringing the influence and the heart and mind of Satan into the church? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking because you wore, like, a, you know, cool NASCAR shirt or, like, some boots or something, and, like, Jesus wore sandals. It's like we get in this weird confusion in the church, like, Alex wearing a hat, and hats aren't there. You're bringing the world into the church, Alec. That's not what he's talking about. Are you with me? Okay, good. He's talking about the mind and heart of Satan. In fact, to, anyway, this is important. We'll talk about that later. No. <laughs> I love you, Terry. Um, so when we're talking about the world, he's talking about this is the place where God reigns. And, and, but Satan, though he reigns on the earth, cannot do anything that he wants. Satan can't do anything that he wants. And this is where it gets a little complicated. So I need to preface this with, I'm going to do my best to explain something that is like kind of complicated and a little controversial, but I need grace. Can you do that this morning? Okay. Something that it, I, I hope I explain correctly, but if I miss it, please give me grace to understand what I'm going to say at the end. Here it goes. Sometimes God in his sovereignty, remember God is sovereign, devil's not. Sometimes God in his sovereignty does execute his plan and purpose using Satan. Now, not as a puppet, but, but he clearly understands what Satan's going to do. Let me explain. This is specifically doing, dealing with disobedience and judgment, but it speaks to the limitation of Satan. This is what I want to share today. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. 
This is a verse where, where um, Paul is talking to the church and saying, this person continues to live in this pattern, and you're allowing them to affect the church. You need to release them, and what's going to happen is going to happen, that Satan is going to do whatever. They're going to recognize, like, oh my goodness, I actually need to walk in the truth of the gospel, and I'm going to come back. Do you understand? It's not like a puppet master. God's not like using a controller to control Satan, like B, strike, C, tempt, and like joystick, whatever. He's very clear saying we're releasing him. Same thing, 1 Timothy 1.20. It says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this is important. God is sovereign, and his will is sovereign, but sometimes God can use Satan to achieve his sovereign will. So I'm bringing these up because you might see these scriptures and be like, what the heck does this mean? So I want to explain to you. Think about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Did God crucify Jesus? No. He had to release that. Satan, uh, Jesus knows it's coming. It's why he's crying blood, right? He knows, God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he say forsaken? Because he has released Jesus to be crucified by Satan and the agents of Satan. So it's not a puppet, but sometimes God uses Satan. But Satan has a limited power. He is not all powerful. He has the power that he has been allowed to have. Luke 22, 31 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Isn't it interesting? He's like, Jesus is like, Satan has asked me. Why? Because I am more powerful than him. And he can't just come around and do what he wants if Jesus is there. So we have it twisted. Remember, we either totally disregard or we totally overpower Satan. But this is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Satan's power is limited. He does not have free reign in the world. But he is active, right? He is, he is active. So let's talk about Satan's activity. And this is important. Second Corinthians, Paul says it's important to understand the activity of Satan in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I joked last week that Eve was naive, and she fell for a scheme of Satan, right? I don't want any of us to be naive and to be outwitted. By the nature of what Paul says, we can be outwitted by Satan. But how many of you want to leave today outwitted by Satan? That was a trick. Nobody raise your hand. <laughs> You want to be prepared and ready. So what are the schemes of Satan? Okay, first thing, Satan, this is what he does, is prowling around looking for people to devour. If you're taking notes, write that down. Satan is prowling around looking for people to devour. 1 Peter 5a, I think it's on the screen, says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In Job 2, when Satan comes before God, God's like, where you been? And he's like, oh, I've been roaming the earth. It's like, yeah, he's not, he's not on vacation, right? He's looking to devour and destroy. He's looking to consume. Satan is a predator. Satan is not misunderstood. Satan is predatory. He is the ultimate spiritual predator, which is why it is so important to stay in community. Because what do lions eat? The lame gazelle at the back of the herd. The one in the back who's limping along spiritually because they haven't really felt any need to get connected. That's who gets it. And he says, Satan is prowling around. Second thing, Satan lies and prompts people to lie. Do you know Satan is a lie? Like, it is his character and nature to lie. John 8, 44. This is like the ultimate roast by Jesus here. This would be, like if Jesus was writing a diss track, this would be, this would be the very first set of lines right here. He says, you belong to your father. He's talking to some religious people. The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Then he looks at the devil, kind of like, and he's like, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he just speaks his native language, for he's a liar, the father of lies. That's a roast. You want to roast somebody? Say, I'm not surprised you're lying, because that's the language you speak, the language of lies. That's a savage roast. <laughs> 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. This is really important. 
I know you might have seen in movies that Satan shows up as like an evil goat creature, but let me be honest, he doesn't, right? He very rarely, when we see an encounter with Satan, does he show up as some like giant goat creature horned Molech figure. The reason we get the horned figure is from the bull representation of Molech that Israel and Canaan and for generations upon generations, people have been worshiping and sacrificing children to. That is where we get this bull imagery, but that is not what Satan looks like. Right? Satan shows up. He is beautiful and wise. He's supernatural. He assumes a body like we would assume a costume, just like most angelic beings. And so this is what is so important. I, I want to say this. It's so hard right now in this climate to say because you think I'm going to talk about somebody. But can I just say real quick, I don't care what tie the person wears, but can we just be honest? We need to judge whether something or someone is truthful and good and full of godly character, not based on how nice they are, how nice they make us feel, not based on how stately or statesmanly they look, not based on how put together they seem, or how much they might say smooth and kind things. We need to base what is godly and of godly truth, not by if they're wearing a blue tie or a red tie or a black tie or whatever. We need to base it on, is that biblical? Is that the Word of God? And I don't care what your yard sign says. It matters to me what the Bible says. And if it falls into biblical truth, and if it does not fall into biblical truth, then it is not biblical no matter how nice you feel. Good. No, I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for. The test of the character should not be, it sounds good, and they look good saying it. Because can I tell you, it says, Satan comes as the angel of light. He comes looking good. Satan is not going to come looking scraggly and off-putting. He doesn't want to be off-putting. He wants you to like him. Because that's how he tricks you, right? Acts 5.3, not only does Satan lie, but he prompts us to lie. Ananias and Sapphira, they kept some money back. Peter addresses him and says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? So not only does Satan lie, he prompts us to lie. But I want you to hear this scripture. What he's not saying is that Ananias was possessed by Satan. What he's saying is, you have opened your heart because of rebellion to God to the heart and the attitude and the mind of Satan, and Satan is opportunistic and has taken that opportunity. Hear me. Satan will only occupy the room you rent him in your heart. But he's a really bad tenant. He is like ACDC in the 80s, or Van Halen on the top of the embassy suites. He will trash that place. He will destroy it. He will make it destitute. He will make it dark and brutal. But he only can do it to the room you rent him. And we rent him the room by opening it up through pride and greed and rebellion against God. Resentment, bitterness. This is why it's so important to have forgiveness. That's why God says, forgive so that you do not open your heart to, to the ways of the evil one. Because he will come in and he will not only lie, but he will prompt us. He'll speak through us. Ananias, how is it that your heart has come so full? I go because I gave him the room. I gave him the room. And he smashed out the windows and ripped up the carpet, and that's what I'm left with. Not only that, Satan binds the minds of unbelievers. Satan binds the minds of unbelievers. Powerful scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age, who's that? That's Satan. Has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Remember, Satan means deceiver, but the one way to deceive is to tell a lie. Another way to deceive, you guys with children, you know what I'm talking about, is to hide the truth. Right? Like, well, I didn't actually say that, but I did not, right? You know, it's to hide it. It's to be deceptive. It's to be a little tricky. It's to put a blinder in front of our eyes to show something else when really something else is happening behind the scenes, right? And that's what Satan does. He not only speaks lies, but he hides truth. This is why you could be sharing the gospel with somebody who is in a complete state of brokenness, and you know that it's the hope and healing. You know through Jesus Christ there is hope for every future and healing for every past. You know through Jesus Christ that there is freedom and power, that there is a miraculous new life. And yet for some reason, the person you're sharing is like, no, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And you're like, what? But like, you're, 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 
depressed and exhausted. How, how do you not see, right? And you're like, I, how do you not see? How do you not, how do you not see this? Because Satan comes in and he blinds the minds of unbelievers, which is why we must be constantly praying. Amen? Satan also tempts people to sin. Genesis 3, 1, he says, He said to the women, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan tempts people to sin. Did God really say you can't do this? This goes back to this thing I was saying earlier. God, or Satan always attacks God's character. He always attacks God's goodness, God's plan, God's love. And he always says to you, Are you sure there isn't a better way than God's way? Have you tried your way? Any of us that have lived long enough trying our way know it doesn't go our way. <laughs> it rarely goes our way. Usually it seems to go his way. Matthew 4, 1, I love Jesus. Is, have, you ever, have you guys read recently about Jesus in the desert? I don't know, but if you haven't, go back and read Matthew 4 and verse 1. Jesus in the desert. It's so powerful. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. How many of you, come on, let's be honest, you get tempted the most when you are tired and hungry. Come on, give up a shout. You come on, where are my hangry people at? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, if your kids get to you before that coffee does and that bagel, Lord help them. Like, Satan's working overtime in the morning. <laughs> Come on. I got up before 5. You better not talk to me. You're going to hear something. Yeah. But look what Satan does. He attacks the identity. He says, if you're really the son of God, he attacks God's character. Why don't you do this? Why don't you feed yourself? I know this is God's plan, but what about this? What if you did this? What about this other plan? And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you go through when you read this, what you see is that as Satan tempts us, as Satan tempts Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, your goal is to model your entire life after Jesus Christ. How Jesus responds to Satan is with Scripture. And why is that important? Because Satan uses Scripture to tempt Jesus. This is why I keep trying to say, do not be convinced by nice-looking, nice-sounding people who use Scripture if they have the heart of Satan, if they have the character of Satan, if what they're saying does not align with the character of God, but they're twisting Scripture, and they're manipulating Scripture to bring glory for themselves or just for you, all the glory should be going back to God. And so this is why it is important to counter the lies of Satan with the truth of the Word of God. Let me just give a challenge. It's off my notes, but real quick. Satan has the Bible memorized. How much of it do you have memorized? If your enemy had an AR and you came with a kitchen knife, how prepared would you be? Satan has scripture memorized. How much you got memorized? Well, that is a lot. I'm not good at memorizing scripture. Like, don't worry. I'm not good at being merciful. God still asks that of me too. Welcome to being a Christian, doing things you're not good at because it makes you better through Christ Jesus and you experience the freedom of a life being who God created you to be. Satan leads people away from intimacy with Christ. Not only does he lie to us, but he leads us away from intimacy with Christ. I know there's a lot of stuff. You can get the notes online later. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul here is talking about false teaching. He's saying, listen, the goal of Satan is to break away the relationship and the intimacy of relationship. The intimacy of relationship with God. He does not want you to have intimate relationship. That's why, fifth thing, Satan steals the Word of God out of people's hearts. Hear me, today the Word of God is going out. If you're here and you believe that, say amen. Amen. The Word of God is going out, but what's going to happen when it goes out is what Scripture says in Mark 4. It says, some people are like seeds along a path where the Word is sown, but as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the Word that was sown in them. Satan might be roaming the earth, but he's working overtime on Sundays. Amen? Maybe a little bit last night, too. <laughs> He's working overtime on Sunday. He's working overtime today because the Word of God is going out. But what happens is, if you've never encountered the love of Jesus Christ, what's going to happen is that Word is going to come into your heart and into your life, and Satan's going to look at you and be like, that's stupid, don't believe that. That's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing you have ever heard. Look at these anti-scientific, which if you, if you believe that lie, you should go listen to James' sermon about how it's not. Uh, 
Look at these crazy people believing this old myth about space demons and other weird stuff. Look at this. You don't want this. This is ridiculous, right? As soon as it comes in, it starts to get taken away. You know what? I know that feels like conviction that could lead to repentance and free you from the shame and the pain and the hurt of your life, but instead, you know what that actually is? Rather than a chance to experience freedom, that's just the church judging you. That's just, that, that feeling's judgment. That's just, you know what? You shouldn't change. You should just change your location. You shouldn't change. You should just change churches. Because the enemy tries to steal it away. Steal, kill, and destroy. Amen. That's what he comes to do. Satan also persecutes believers. Revelation 2.10. Band, you can come up right now. Revelation 2.10 says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. This is happening all over the world today. All over the world today, right now, right now, there are people in prison, and there are people who have been, are being, and will be murdered today. And every day to the end of time, because Satan organizes governments, organizations, movements for the persecution of the body of believers. For the persecution of the people of God. Can, can we just be honest? I know it's hard when we live in the Western context that we live now, but if Satan could, he would murder you. He would destroy you. He would kill you. He doesn't just dislike you. This is not like his side job. His pure focus of existence is to destroy you and your family. As like a man, as a father, that like gets me up. Like I'm like ready to freaking go, right? His whole goal is to violate my daughter. No, no thank you, right? Like I want to be ready for that. Why? Because he wants to destroy. I know we like say like, well, that's a conspiracy. You know, we get weird about things. Like listen, no, this is biblical. Satan has worked from the beginning of time to destroy people, and he uses every kind of means possible to do it. Be aware. Be aware. He persecutes the church. Why does he persecute the church? Last two things, because he fights the spread of the gospel. You know what Satan hates just about as much as you? The gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2.17, Paul says, We wanted to come to you, in verse 18, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Because Satan was coming against us. We wanted to bring you the word. Satan doesn't want to be the gospel, doesn't want the gospel to be spread, and he will do everything in his power. Why? Because the gospel is hope and healing. The gospel is life bringing. The gospel is victory. Satan's mode is you should stay caught in the chains and the bondage of your life. The gospel says it's the good news. You are free through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Satan's like, well, I don't want you to hear that. If you want somebody to starve to death, you keep them from getting food. If you want them to drown, you keep them from getting a life vest. If you want them to live broken for eternity, you prevent them from getting the gospel. Because the gospel is hope and healing and life and renewal and joy. I don't know what someone told you it was, but let me tell you today, it is love for you. It is love for you. It is not a hammer. It is a hug. It is an embrace. It is a welcome. Some of you, you might feel not worthy to receive that today, and that's because the final thing, Satan accuses believers before God. Zechariah 3.1 says, Then he showed me the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. What is Satan doing here? He is accusing, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. I mean, look at you. Look what you've done. Look where you've come from. Like, come on. You're not worthy of this. You're not worthy of this calling. God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really care for you. Because Satan comes to steal kill and destroy. That is his whole goal. But hear me, the final thing this morning, we talked about Satan's creation. We talked about Satan's fall. We talked about Satan's authority. And now I just want to tell you very briefly here about Satan's destruction. Satan will be and has been destroyed. Revelation 12:10 says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, 
Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, that's Jesus Christ, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They, who's they? They meaning the brothers and sisters, you and I, the church, the body of Jesus Christ, the believers who have surrendered their life, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. What's the blood of the lamb? The blood that was shed on the cross for you and I through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Hear me, Satan is powerful, Satan is beautiful, Satan is wise, Satan is active, Satan is evil, but Satan, though he has come to steal, kill, and destroy, is not victorious. He is many things, but a victor he is not. He is eternally the Satan and the loser forever. And this morning, you need to hear that Christ has overcome. Because some of you, you need victory. And you need to hear Christ has overcome. 1 John 4, 4 says this. You dear children, 1 John 4, 4. Get this in your heart and your mind. 1 John 4, 4. If you're watching online, type it out. You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus came. It's like 1 John 3, 8 says, to destroy the work of the devil. He has no power over you that you do not give him. He has not, no authority over your life. Through Jesus Christ, he has been rendered powerless. And you have power through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to resist every scheme of the enemy, to break off every lie of the enemy, to resist everything of the enemy. Satan is powerful. I, I get it. And I don't think we should shy away from it because I don't want us to be deceived. But we need to know a greater truth and that Jesus is victorious. You have victory through Jesus Christ. Amen matter what you face today. I don't know what you're facing, what battle you're facing, what demons you're fighting, what spiritual battle you're coming up against, what struggle you're having, what doubts you're facing, but I do know this one thing because I believe the Word of God that no matter what you face, God is greater and you have victory through Jesus Christ. He can bring you victory. No oppression, no lie, no depression, no attack, no foothold, no chain of suffering, no addiction is greater than the victory of Jesus. Christ. And today I believe that if you put your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ and you surrender your life to him, that he will give you victory by his blood. I believe that because the word of God says it and because I testify to it in my own life. If you are here today and you say, God, I need a victory, then he is here to invite you into the victory of the resurrection and to give you a victory today. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you. all around this room. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? The band is going to lead us in declaring the victory of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, I'm going to encourage you to pray over your own life. But before we go, every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to pray two things. One, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have never encountered the hope and healing through Jesus, the hope for every future and the healing for every past. You've never experienced the love. You've never had God reveal his deep love for you, to embrace you, to give you a miracle, to make you new, to wipe away every shame, every sin. You've never experienced that. Or maybe you did a long time ago, but today is the day where you choose to follow Jesus again. Every eye closed, every head bowed. The reason we do this is not because it's more spiritual. I just don't want anybody to chicken out because they're afraid of what someone next to them is saying. You're already fighting the devil enough. He's trying to steal this moment out of your mind. And so right now, I'm just believing. If that's you and you're saying, today, I commit my life to Jesus. I need a miracle in my life. I commit my life to him. I choose to follow you. I don't know all the answers, but I need the hope and healing of a life with Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, would you simply do this? Would you lift your hand up and put it back down this morning? Up and down. Thank you. Thank you. Online, you can click that button. I want to pray for you this morning if you lifted your hand. And I just encourage you, would you repeat after me? Everybody, would you repeat after me in unison? Let's build our faith together. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for taking my sin and shame upon the cross thank you for rising again and for inviting me into the resurrection I repent of all my sin 
I lay my life at your feet and receive your love today. I choose to follow you for all my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Second thing I want to pray for you, if this morning you need a victory this morning, you're fighting a battle and you're saying, you know what, man, I'm feeling that weight, I'm feeling that spiritual weight. Maybe your heart breaks even for our nation and you're feeling that weight for our nation. You're saying, I need victory. I, want, I need the victory of Jesus Christ. All I want to do is I want to pray for you. I just want you to lift both hands with me this morning. Wherever you are, just say, I need victory in this place. I need victory this morning. I need the chains broken. I need it released. I need a victory today. Maybe a victory in my family, a victory in my health. I need the victory of the rest resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you this morning, and then I encourage you as we worship to lay it down. We open the altar, we open the space, wherever you need to go to lay that at his feet. I encourage you this morning to press into that moment, but let's pray together. God, I thank you this morning. With our hands raised, we declare that you are victorious, and God, you see every hand. You see the need for victory. You see the need for deliverance. You see the need for chains broken and lives healed. You see it right here this morning, God, and it is not beyond you. We know that your resurrection to the blood of Jesus, that you have covered everything. We know that you have overcome, that there is nothing, though the enemy is powerful, there is nothing that is greater than you. So this morning, we surrender our lives to you and say, God, would you give us victory to the blood of Jesus Christ? Today, in the name of Jesus, I break every lie of Satan over your life, where he has spoken to your identity and your worthiness, and he has tried to cast you down and out. I break those lies in the name of Jesus, and I pray that you would receive the hope and healing that comes from him, that he would reign in your heart and in your life. We break every lie. We break every stronghold. We break every deception, every addiction, every oppression over our nation, over this city, over this church, over Scottsdale. And we declare the truth of Jesus Christ. We pray a victory. And we declare that I will see a victory by the blood of Jesus Christ over my life. In Jesus, in Jesus' mighty name.